Well, there we are. See if we can make this work now. May have to take a few. How long did it take us to sing those songs? Two or three minutes? So we have to stop every 20 minutes or so for two or three minutes to allow my voice to recover. We'll, uh, we'll get through this. It shouldn't take more than a couple of hours then to get through the material that I have. Appreciate your patience. Let's... Um... Oh, the children. Kids. And Samuel. You're all dismissed. No, Sam, you have to stay up here. I don't think you want to be downstairs. Yeah, children are dismissed for... Uh, Children's church downstairs. Sam and Isaiah stay here. Takes half the room. All right, now let's go before the throne of grace. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we trust you for all things, because you give, you give us all things, and we're asking now for uh, your blessing upon our, our fellowship here together in the Word as we go about studying your Word and hopefully applying it in our lives, Father, and so that we can grow. Uh, as we prayed previously in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask for your blessing upon our time together. Recall that we remember we do all this for your glory, not for our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can see from looking at the slide there that uh, uh, we're talking about Deuteronomy in the church. And I, um, I attended this wonderful uh, Christmas concert here on, uh, uh, what was that, just Friday evening, right? And... Uh, one of the scriptures that I heard Pastor Dave mention when he gave his short message at the end of the concert, it was a wonderful concert, was he specifically mentioned Deuteronomy 5. And I said, that's awesome, because I was planning on uh, talking about Deuteronomy on uh, Sunday. And so I said, well, we'll focus on Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, and uh, make some connection to Deuteronomy in the church because you all know, those of you that have heard me before and suffered through my classes, that I love to study the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, you've been subjected to my study of that so far through the first 12 chapters or about a third of the book. Uh, And uh, the last time I taught, I said, well, I have a plan to complete this thing verse upon verse, chapter by chapter, I don't know if I'm going to make that or not, because that's going to take another six to eight years at the, at the rate that I'm going. And uh, we don't know, none of us knows, but I don't know how, what my longevity is going to be. So we'll, uh, we'll make some adjustments as we're going along. Uh, for this particular session, no new exegesis from the book, but uh, what do we do with uh, what we've got? So uh, we'll start with a little bit of background material, such as, basic stuff. Why do we study the Bible in the first place? Why even think about the Old Testament? And if we are going to do that, why would we look at the book of Deuteronomy? Um, If you do, does anybody ever do Google searches? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, every time 
I'm sitting there watching TV, and my wife says, how do you spell, you know, Google? And, you know, I come across as being pretty smart because I can figure it out pretty fast, as fast as I can type something into Google that resembles the right word. So if you Google why study the Bible, just throw those words in there, you go, why study the Bible? You get pages and pages of information. Some of it's silly. Uh, some of it's wrong. Some of it's pretty good. Um, some just okay. Some good to a point. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, let's take a look at it from uh, Scripture. Uh, I want to throw out, so we're going to talk about specifically some uh, passages of Scripture that have to do with, uh, uh, with worship by way of studying the Bible. And um, the first one uh, is, uh, is that right? Yeah. The first one is um, the first one is John seventeen three. Now y'all know that John seventeen is the high, Jesus high priestly prayer, which is right following the upper room discourse, which, as we all know, is John chapters thirteen through sixteen. And in that prayer, Jesus. Uh, what started obviously he spoke these things and lifting his eyes to heaven he said father the hour has come glorify your son that the son may glorify you even as you gave him authority over all flesh that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life and in 17:3 this is eternal life that they may know you and the verb know there is the one that's important know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent so how do we know god how do we know God intimately but by taking his word and in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, applying it in our, uh, in our lives? Uh, the next little bullet is uh, in 1 Timothy and it's uh, 1.15 but I think we need to, uh, I'm sorry, First Timothy 1.5, I can't even read. Uh, this epistle, as we know, is a letter from Paul. It's a, one of the pastoral letters, a letter from Paul to uh, Timothy. And we'll get a running start because I have issues sometimes if we just go grab a verse out of context, and any single verse by itself you pull it out of the Bible, we're taking it out of context, and a lot of that you can do, you can get out of it. You mean John 3.16, you, you don't have to read the whole third chapter of John to get the essence of John 3.16, you can just quote that. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's got a lot packed into it. Most of the time, though, we need the context to really get what the author's intent. So I'm going to start at 1.1. Paul, I, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, a typical Pauline uh, greeting, salutation. 
He goes on to say, I urge you upon my departure for Macedonia. So Paul's going away. Remain on at Ephesus so you may instruct certain men. So Timothy is the pastor there. He's getting some instruction from his spiritual mentor, Paul, on how the business needs to be conducted. So that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Here's our verse of interest. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The goal is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. And then he goes on to say, For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, and even though they don't understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, it's clear that uh, there's a goal, and, and in this, uh, we have to keep track. The goal is love, and that is why we're doing the teaching. So now the next bullet, uh, let's go over to, you know, yeah, no, fine. Second Peter. Second Peter one twenty one, and uh, but I have to get a running I have to get a running start on that one too. And I didn't have it. So I'm going to start at, and the verse I'm interested in is Second Peter, as I said, 1, 21, 20 and 21. We'll get a running start at, uh, at verse 12. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. <coughs> I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder knowing that the laying aside of my early, dwell, early earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were, wit we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the, majest, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. <coughs> Paul, uh, Peter is speaking here of the transfiguration. When, so we have the prophetic word made uh, sure, to which you do well to pay attention 
as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And here, are, here starts our verses of interest. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever been made by, <coughs> by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And then, of course, we have Second um, Timothy 3.16. And everybody knows that one by heart, but let's run over to Second Timothy. And where do we want to read from there? I think uh, 1 through 17. You're saying, Mike, how come you're reading all this? Your voice is shut. Well, because it's the word. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, un- irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal haters of good, treacherous, reckless, Conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these, for among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and ever able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and John Braze opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the, oppose the truth, men of depraved mind rejected in regard to faith, but they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Jonas and Yambre's folly was also. Now you followed my teaching. Conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. (coughs) But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God. <coughs> and, and, excuse me, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And that is our, our passage there. Uh, and uh, I could go on with these, uh, but I think what I'm going to do is, uh, well, what I've been giving you is the biblical rationale. For, I'm sorry, I'm keeping up with my slides here. Uh, 
Uh, two more scriptures there that why, how do we study the Bible, and we'll, we'll move on into uh, uh, continued here, the, there's a rationale. The Old Testament uh, gives us the history of creation, the fall, the flood, and the development of a single family to carry out God's plan. And uh, is there a lot of interest in the, in the Old Testament? Well, I, have, I do now. I didn't always. I think I've told some or most of you all at one time or another, there was a day when, when I didn't uh, uh, give two pennies about, uh, about what I could see in the Old Testament. I was only interested in the New Testament. I was, uh, as a baby believer, shipmates with a guy that uh, his treatment of the New Testament, of the Old Testament, he said, ah, the Old Testament, that's just the wanderings of the Jews. Uh, and uh, so not everyone has a high opinion of the Old Testament, including myself at times past. Well, uh, so why study it? Uh, well, the answers in the previous slide we just looked at uh, in reference to all the scriptures, and particularly Second Timothy three sixteen, which at the time that was <clears throat> at the time that was given, if you think about it, the Old Testament was all scripture. That's all they had. So he's specifically talking about. There's another reference in Second Peter three sixteen, which encompasses more of the New Testament, but for that point in time when Paul said that, <coughs> that essentially was the scripture they had. Uh, so, now why, why Deuteronomy? Uh, we, can, uh, we can drill down a little bit in that a lot. Uh, this is a slide I use uh, if I'm doing a basic Deuteronomy study. It's uh, the, uh, the unpointed Hebrew there, Hela Hadabarim, uh, which is, uh, these are the words, uh, and that is the Hebrew title of that, of that chapter. I'm sure you all, you, all, you all know that the Old Testament books are going to have, you're gonna, they're going to have two titles. They're going to have a Hebrew title, and that Hebrew title is going to be usually the first word or two of uh, the Hebrew script uh, in that uh, book, and that'll be there, and that's, that'll be the title, that the English title that we have right now is from the Latin, which was a, and then from the Septuagint, so we get things like Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy uh, roughly translates as second law, and that's from a mistranslation of a part. It's not a second law, it's a second giving of the law. So uh, we'll, uh, whoops. So, um, historical setting. I do. Uh, we'll cover all the Old Testament in uh, in uh, in less than uh, less than five minutes. So you have creation. You have creation to uh, to Abraham, and that's going to take Genesis one through eleven. A lot of stuff goes on there. Um, creation, the fall, the flood the Tower of Babel, and covers from 
I am a young earth creationist. So my, my, my timeline is, we're talking about basically uh, 4108, thereabouts B.C. to 2160 B.C. All that is encompassed in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Genesis excuse me. And then uh, Abraham to captivity. Abraham comes along in, uh, in chapter 12, and so from Abraham to the captivity is... Uh, basically the rest of Genesis, chapters 12 through 50, and that's uh, 2160 to 1853, thereabouts, B.C. And then we have the captivity to the Exodus, um, and that is uh, Exodus 114. They were in Egypt for 430 years. Um, Jacob went in in 1876, and uh, in 1446, Moses left with the children of Israel. And then Exodus to to the plains of Moab, that is uh, Exodus 15 through Numbers 36, uh, 40 years. Takes us to 1406, so roughly 2,702 years after the creation event, children of Israel are on the plains of Moab with, uh, uh, with Moses. So, uh, and then we have Deuteronomy smack in the middle of this, and, and that's going to be our focus for a little bit, but following Deuteronomy... You get the rest of the Old Testament, which encompasses. So the Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is the uh, uh, is uh, God's contract, God's covenant with Israel. Uh, interesting point. You've heard it before. I'll say it again. Our God, the God of the Bible, is the only God. Well, He's the only true God to begin with, but He's the only God that ever made a contract with His people. None of the other fake gods have ever done anything like that, ever did anything like that. Our God did that with uh, the nation of Israel. And this book of Deuteronomy is, uh, is their constitution uh, and, and that contract. So we have that smack dab here. Then after Deuteronomy, they cross the Jordan into the promised land. And the rest of the Bible takes... The rise of the nation of Israel to its peak and its degradation and its fall, its slow decline into dissolution in uh, captivity and, and all of that. And then the promise of the coming Savior. That takes us the rest of the way through the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, although it's uh, location-wise, it's near the front, uh, being the fifth chapter of, uh, of excuse me, the fifth book of the Bible, and the last of the of the uh, of the Pentateuch, all penned by Moses, it is called the heart of the Old Testament, and it's been uh, called that for some time. Uh, so we have Deuteronomy, and we're not going to get bogged down. Here is a uh, here's an outline. Of Deuteronomy, I've got three of them. I'm going to show you for no particular reason other than I had three of them available, 
And uh, this one uh, kind of has it broken up by, uh, by Moses' speeches. Uh, Moses, and again, depending upon who, the, who the, uh, the commentators are that make these things up, there's either three or four speeches by, by Moses in here. And, and uh, uh, here, the, well, you can see what they are. I don't want to dwell on this, but it divides the book up that way. The, the second one I have, I really like this guy, Dr. Tom Constable, uh, a retired uh, Dallas Theological Seminary professor. Uh, he divides it up uh, this way. It, it still has everything in it. It was just his way of dividing it up uh, into uh, seven parts. Uh, introduction, Moses' first major address, uh, which is in, um, in the, the so-called historical, or, or uh, excuse me, the uh, prelude uh, for the uh, uh, Suzerain-Vassal Treaty, which we'll look at in the next slide. And then... Um, the bulk of this one is uh, number Roman numeral four there, Moses' second major address where he gives, it's an exposition of the law and it covers chapters five through 26 uh, and, and a detailed viewing of the law divided up in half, uh, general stipulations and specific stipulations. And then uh, the rest. Uh, and uh, I mentioned the suzerain vassal treaty format, uh, and that is Deuteronomy appears to be very similar to the, the so-called Hittite suzerain vassal treaties that were in use in that, in that era, and that was where a contract would be made, a treaty would be made between a, a superior leader or king uh, and a lesser king, and here it's the superior king is obviously the God of heaven, and the lesser is uh, is Israel, and uh, it's kind of organized like that, but that's not what we're here to talk about today, so we'll get on down the road a little bit here. So why study Deuteronomy? Uh, well, uh, I did mention that it's the heart of the Old Testament. So what's a heart? Uh, boop, 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 the, the thing that's beating in your chest? Well, not so much. Uh, it uh, it refers to a person's character or the the essence or the central or the most important part. Uh, in the Old Testament's a collection of 39 books, uh, and it uh, it's all of God's story. It's the story of His love for His people, not only the chosen people of Israel, but for uh, uh, all uh, people worldwide. And uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, everything prior to Deuteronomy is looking forward to, uh, to uh, Deuteronomy. And then uh, Deuteronomy is the covenant renewal on the plains of Moab before Israel enters the land. And then everything after Deuteronomy is looking back at Deuteronomy. How did this constitution, how did this thing work out? Uh, the rise, the fall, the destruction, the exile, the return. And so uh, we've said that previously, and there you have it again. So uh, Deuteronomy and the church. Now, in Deuteronomy, for the first time, Moses revealed that it was God's love for Israel that motivated him to deal with with the Israelites as he had. 
Um, so um, it's his love for the patriarchs and and later the whole nation of Israel is Israel is obvious uh, in the previous four books of the Pentateuch, but Moses never articulated it directly. And one of the great revelations of the book of Deuteronomy is the motivation of God. God's love for the people moved him to bless, and God's, the people's love for God motivated them to uh, obey when they did. Love. Words for love in Deuteronomy. Uh, there are two of them. And this is not going to be a Hebrew class, so don't worry about that. There's two. They are Hebrew words because the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. And the first is ahav, uh, and meaning to love or like in all cases. It can be person to person, uh, as father to son, mother to child, uh, wife to husband. And it can be God's love. And then, oops, there is a second, uh, chesed, which means faithfulness, loyalty, steadfast love, loving kindness. Uh, it's uh, the loving kindness of God in condescending to the needs of his creatures. And, creatures. and we talked about this before, so uh, uh, I want to show you this slide again. Now, this slide is all the occurrences of uh, the first of those words, ahav, in the Old Testament, and you can see that uh, in Deuteronomy it occurred 22 times, and that is the third most of the Old Testament. The higher frequency was in Psalms and in uh, Proverbs, as you might expect, given the nature of, uh, of those two books. Uh, so the word is used in 28 out of 39 of the, uh, of the Old Testament book. Um, and uh, the word chesed, uh, to a lesser extent, it was only used three times in Deuteronomy. And you may recall regarding Ahav, in a previous lesson, we went through meticulously every one of the 22 occurrences of Ahav in the book of Deuteronomy and uh, studied out how that was used in there and, and, what, uh, and the context that gave us how that, uh, that word was intended. So the message of the book is clear. As I said a couple of minutes ago, God's love for man motivated his government and man's love for God should be the motivation for his obedience. And now we want to uh, drill down just a little bit farther into chapter 6 and we'll read through a, th a few verses. We're not going to go through all of any of it. Uh, just the first five verses. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments. You notice that one always struck me as interesting, that commandment was singular, and then statutes and judgments were plural. Uh, but it's consistent throughout the book. Which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you're going over to uh, possess it. Um, the commandment is what follows in verse 5. We'll get to that in just a minute. And the judgments and the statutes 
are all the stipulations that are in uh, chapters, well, 7 through 26. Uh, So this verse, again, an exhortation to observe the principles. And there's a so that. So that you, your son and your grandson, might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And here is the, uh, the essence of what we want to talk about in this section. We have the Shema, as it's known. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And then verse 5 goes on, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Okay, so this is, if you will, the heart of the heart. If Deuteronomy is the heart of the Old Testament, this is the heart of the heart. Uh, These words here, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Um, The statement that begins here with the hero Israel, Shema Yisrael, Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, is um, the so-called Shema, and even today, pious Jews will recite it twice daily, uh, even today. Um, If the ten words, and the ten words are what we translate to be the Ten Commandments, but if the ten words are the heart of the stipulations as a whole, the principle of those ten words is encapsulated in the Shema, uh, which defines who the sovereign is, it's the God, of the universe and uh, reduces application or excuse me obligation to him to one of uh, exclusive love and obedience there is no doubt he said love me so we'll try to tie all this together the Deuteronomy 6.5 gives the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. But, recall from what we read earlier, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Okay. So, what... Let's stop for just we've got a lot of time, a couple hours. Uh, so what is what is love? Remember that I don't know why this is coming to me, Pam, but uh, remember that line in Forrest Gump where he says to Jenny, I'm not a very smart man, but I know what love is, Jenny. All right, Forrest. What is love? Well, um, 
I'm going to read a little bit from 1 Corinthians 13. And if any of you have ever been to a wedding, you've had some or all of this recited. Uh, and, and I'll make a statement at the end. It's not what love is. It's what love does. But not what love is. We'll get to that. Uh, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as, to remo- so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor and if feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Well, that's all true. Now, love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag, love is not arrogant, love does not act becomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face... Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So love is is going to endure. And all these things, and all these equative verbs, uh, love is, love is, love is not, tell you things, there are qualities of love, but they don't define what love is. We have, uh, we have three Greek words uh, in our Greek New Testament that um, describe love in various aspect, aspects, uh, um, uh, agape, uh, phileo, and eros, uh, but I don't tell you what it is. Uh, we have a definition that our pastor has provided for us that says, love is, love is the desire for God's best for the object of the love. So God's love for us, God does, oh, and taking action on that desire. So it's a two-parter. You have the desire uh, I love you, Linda, and so I desire God's best for you. And then I take action on that to work in Linda's life to get her the best that God has for her. Uh, that's love. That's what love is. These are some of the qualities of, of love but that's what love is. So now back to where we were. Looking at these bullets. So um, we're tying together. We're saying, well, why 
would we think about Deuteronomy in the church age? And we're, we're getting there now. First off, we have this awesome overall command. We're supposed to love our God with our heart, soul, and might. And then uh, Paul's instruction to Timothy on, on why we teach as we do. Our goal is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now let's look at a problem that, uh, that comes up. Uh, Revelation 2, 1 through 7. Now, uh, those of you that are students of Revelation know that uh, this is uh, smack dab in the area where uh, uh, there's instruction to the angels of the various churches that, uh, that are remaining. And this one is uh, 2, 1 through 7 is to the church at Ephesus. Um, and he says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Well, that sounds like a tremendous church. And it is. But, he says, he goes on, I have this against you. That you have what? You have left your first love. Abandon this love. Uh, the command to love God with all our heart, soul, and might, they've left that. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So love is towards God and man, believers and unbelievers. All right, so there is that one with the church at Ephesus. John thirteen thirty four and 35, we know this as uh, uh, we get the new command, uh, Jesus gives out a new command there. And he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And then we have Matthew 28, 19 and 20, that we know as the Great Commission. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. A couple of final words on, on Deuteronomy. Uh, where... Deuteronomy is a contract, a covenant between God and the nation Israel. It's a constitution for the nation in the land. Israel was under the Mosaic law. We are not and never were under the Mosaic law. Uh, we are not 
and never were under a contract with God. Uh, the Mosaic law is no longer in effect. It's been fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. So what about the Ten Commandments? Aren't they part of the Mosaic law? Well, the beginning of the Ten Commandments Ten Commandments come over to the to the New Testament, all except for one, and that's the Sabbath. The Sabbath didn't come over to the New Testament. But the principles all remain the same. I mean, if you think about it realistic, you say, well, we're not under the Ten Commandments, so, so that's okay to murder then? Well, of course not. That would be silly, stupid. Uh, so we still, we still are under uh, those, uh, those principles, uh, and chief among them is uh, to love God. Uh, and God has commanded us to do that. And so, um, if, what did I do? Uh, so, some uh, notes of application. What can I, so what? What can I do to serve him? There can be all kinds of applications to our families related to God, uh, disregarding the hurts people do to us. Do you have, do you have people in your life that have, have wronged you? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and uh, this slide did not, I apologize, this slide didn't animate, we got the whole thing all at once, so you're going to have to pretend you don't see all those bullets up there that, that are there already. Uh, so how can, I, how can I love God according to the Bible? Uh, so uh, some hints were John 14, 15, and 21 and 23. 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. All right, that's broad. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, Jesus, Jesus is God. God said, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's a commandment. Logic says that one applies. That's one of the commandments. Okay, all right, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Uh, John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, 14, 23, he says, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. I don't know what this is doing. Let's see what happens here. Oh, that's below average. Okay. All right. So, yeah, it didn't animate. I apologize for that. Uh, so we'll back up here. All right. All right. 
So the second bullet there says, we all struggle with priorities and, and balance. Uh, do God's commands help me sort out these issues and how? Now, uh, that's a rhetorical question, and I'm glad you all recognize that, and nobody started sticking their hands up or elbowing their neighbors or anything like that. Um, but think about it. This can be a big issue with husband-wife uh, priorities, parent-child relationships, sibling relations, uh, cousins, um, you name it, any kind of a, of a human relationship, you, you can have some, some issues here. And is there a way that these commands balance that out? Well, think about it. If the first thing here is to love God, and the other major command that goes with that is to love one another as Christ loved us. And Think about that. He died for us. That's not, the Bible's not telling you you've got to go out and die for your friends. Uh, but it's saying have the type of love that motivated someone to do that. Uh, and uh, that goes a long way. The command to husbands. Husbands, love your wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the type of love, men that we are to have for our ladies. It's a big deal. Uh, the third bullet, can I forgive for God's sake? Can my forgiveness be an act of love towards God first? All right, somebody has wronged me. Now, if you've never been wronged by anyone, God bless you. Uh, but I also pity you because your time's coming. It's going to happen. Uh, we, we wrong one another all the time. And it seems like the people that we love the most, that we're supposed to have the most concern and care for, uh, are the ones who are in our sights all the time. Uh, that get the brunt of it. Uh, and it goes both ways. I love this person dearly, and he's just dumping on me like you wouldn't believe. Uh, does loving other people mean trusting them or trusting God concerning them? And you can say, well, wait a second. Uh, I love God. I love God, but I can't stand the fact that my neighbor drives over my yard half the time when he's going into his own driveway. Or uh, this jerk that just drove around me on the breakdown lane. Uh, well, I'll show him. Maybe, well, no. Now we got road rage. Um, your neighbor. Your neighbor blows all these leaves into your yard. And that infuriates you, but you don't take time to think about that the leaves in his yard all fell out of your trees. Or maybe they didn't. Now, those are silly examples. Uh, but check out 1 John 2, 9 through 12. Uh, let's take a look at what's happening here. 1 John 2. 
Oh yeah. Got to back up and get a running start at this as well. Uh, John has spent uh, chapter 1 here in 1 John uh, talking about walking in the light versus the darkness and confessing our sins. And uh, in chapter 2 he says, he's writing, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, he has an advocate. Uh, in verse 7, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says, this is about your brother now, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So we say on the one hand, I love God. Oh, I love Jesus. I want to serve him, and you hate your brother, you hate your neighbor. Uh, doesn't work that way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Can we do that? That's rhetorical. I don't expect. I mean, I see that hand back there. But uh, uh, it's rhetorical. Uh, but the answer is not in our own power. No way, Jose. But in the power we have uh, through the indwelling Holy Spirit and walking in the light, uh, we can have that love. And if we have that love, when we're confronted with one of these situations, and we apply that, uh, this person uh, who is tailgating me five feet off my back bumper at 70 miles an hour, I'm supposed to love this person, and so I'm not going to do what I was thinking about doing. We're going to let that pass. Where are we now? Our commands primarily... Oh, this is a good one. Our commands primarily attacking my thinking or my feelings. Well, that's a trick question. Uh, if, well, it's not really. It's pretty obvious. Um, the commands will stimulate our thinking. Uh, if, uh, if there's an attack, though, it's going to be our misguided feelings. I will submit. Uh, and the last bullet, uh, in, in teaching the law, in teaching the law, are we placing the church under the Mosaic law? No. 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 A thousand times no. We are 
2 Timothy 3.16, instructing in righteousness. Now, if you're an unbeliever, and we're just about done, if you're an unbeliever, then keeping uh, those commandments uh, will get you nowhere. The Ten Commandments never saved anybody, and an unbeliever has no capacity to love the Lord, period. But as a believer... All of the commandments, except for keeping the Sabbath, are applicable in the church today. Uh, those of you that know me and have heard me pray know that I start off my prayers, all of, well, most of them, by telling my Heavenly Father that I love Him. Uh, and I pray that I'm always telling the truth. I certainly want to be. Uh, I certainly want to be loving Him. And uh, so I start that way. Uh, So we're not under the Mosaic Law, never have been, never will be, but in keeping with that all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, teaching the commandment, the great commandment, to love our God with all our heart, soul, and might, which is the heart of the heart of the Old Testament in Deuteronomy (coughs) 6.5, is very much an, an applicable thing. Uh, today. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful to you, our God, for giving us eternal life through Christ our Lord. His sacrifice on the cross made it all possible. Uh, We don't have anything we can bring to the table. Jesus did it all and died and paid for all the sins of mankind. And trusting in Him, we have eternal life, and we're so grateful for that. And we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for the simple commands of Your Word, such as we find in Deuteronomy 6.5, to love You. Uh, pray, Father, that, um, that we can do that, put that into practice. As we go forward now, we ask that uh, Your Spirit will make real to us all that we have talked about here this morning. Uh, so that we can apply it in our lives and, as always, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We lay these things before your throne of grace now. In Jesus' name, amen.